Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 392. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to have a great guest with you, someone who like myself, needed to apply to medical school twice. Someone like myself realized what it was, the mistakes that he was making in his application. And now he actually interviews students for his medical school. He actually teaches students the MCAT and USMLE prep at his medical school. We have a great guest, Armin, who is a dual degree MD, MBA student at the University of Illinois College of Medicine. He was an MCAT tutor for Next Step Test Prep, which has now become Blueprint MCAT. If you haven't heard, right, remember Blueprint MCAT used to be Next Step Test Prep. So he's at Blueprint MCAT teaching. He's a tutor for the MCAT. He also sits on Blueprint MCAT's Pre-Med Advisory Council. And you'll realize why he sits on their advisory council after you realize the, the information that he has, the knowledge that he has, and how he looks at applicants and how he looks at students who are interviewing. It's very similar to how I like to look at students. And as I mentioned, he serves on the admissions committee at the University of Illinois College of Medicine and is an admissions consultant for Blueprint MCAT as well. So without further ado, let's say hello to Armin. Armin, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Dr. Gray. It's um, happy to be here. Let's start with when you first realized you wanted to be a doctor. So... I guess that had to be somewhere between um, high school and college. Um, I found a good knack for uh, science. I just found it so interesting and intriguing, uh, you know, uh, diving deeper into biology and chemistry. So I majored in biology. 
And I loved science. Um, but as I grew, uh, as I went through our college, I, I wanted to do more than just uh, influence individuals on a personal level. I wanted to uh, create policies. I wanted to um, impact communities on a grander scale. And I was you know, struck between going into business administration and, you know, something of that sort and versus becoming a doctor. And, uh, it, but like my entire life, like completely like became solid in my sophomore year when I realized there was such thing as an MD MBA. So, um, I, I, that, I chose that. I think it was in my sophomore year of college and I'm like, I'm, that's what I'm doing. What was it about the MBA portion that that you were like, oh, like I can do everything I want? Why why did you number one? Why did you think you needed the MBA versus quote unquote just being an MD? And number two, how were you exposed to that field? Yeah, so um, I think the major thing of having an MBA that would really help you help you know achieve. Um, significantly more than uh, on a grander scale in terms of impacting communities and creating policies would be the leadership aspects and the management classes that you take and also networking that happens. Um, in medical school, throughout my first three years of med school, which has been great, amazing, I've met extremely incredible, very intelligent people, but they don't teach you anything about like how healthcare works. What, what is, you know, a deductible or what is copay and what is, what is the step? What are the steps from when a patient enters into the, uh, uh healthcare setting to the point where they get billed or how many different loop, how many different gears have to grind in order, uh, to, for this process to be completed. Like none of that occurs. Um, and I think in, in, in the management of the MBA portion, you learn more about process and design and, and, and more about strategic management and leadership and also networking. Um, so I think those are some things that have really impacted me throughout my uh, college career to come up with, to go through this path. Yeah. And obviously right now, still being a, a rising MS4, as we're chatting, you haven't gone out in the quote, quote unquote real world yet and practiced and running your own clinic or whatever that looks like for your future. A lot of students come into medicine very naively, very uh, kind of with rose-colored glasses or whatever that saying is, thinking that it's just this amazing field and everything works all the time. And and it sounds like you came in understanding that there's going to be this beast to manage. How did you how did you know that? Yeah. So throughout high school and college, uh, whenever I would shadow physicians and tell them like I want to be a physician, they would always tell me like why why do you get, get I, why <laughs> like why do you want to do that and it would always intrigue me like this is such a noble profession such an awesome thing that they're doing why is it that they're not happy or encouraging others and then i would also say that i'm interested in management or i wanted to go into leadership and there they just look at me and like <laughs> there's no doctors up there or, you know, the people up there have no idea what's going on down here or, you know, there's no, there's a huge disconnect. And I, was, I, I guess that question and that, that huge disconnect always made me very curious of, of why is there not a, a, a huge disconnect? Why is there a huge disconnect going on? And why uh, do people, why do physicians who are changing people's lives and leading healthcare settings like, why do they most, some of them feel this way? 
Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a lot of very common feedback that students get is like, uh, are you sure you want to do this? There's a lot of burnt out doctors out there. There's a lot of jaded physicians out there. I, I think because they they potentially went into medicine not fully understanding what what it is on the other side. It's not all Grey's Anatomy and Scrubs, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So with your path, so you you realize, oh, wow, there's this MD. MBA program out there for the the DO world. There's a DO MBA uh, program out there. When you were applying to medical schools, what was that process like for you to to apply to schools and go, hey, I'm applying to your MD MBA program? Is is it as simple as that, or is it just a regular MD application and then you you figure out the MBA part after? What was that like? So I have a fun story about my admissions. Um, I had to apply twice, so I was welcome to the club. (laughs) (laughs) So I was rejected everywhere I applied to in my first year, and my personal statement really focused on the MBA aspect that I wanted to go for an MBA. I wanted to go into leadership, and yeah, I guess maybe an MD can help me. (laughs) (laughs) That'll put the nail in the coffin every time. (laughs) So that was not helpful. Um, that was not a good idea. So yeah. in my second uh, application process, um, I definitely revised my personal statement, focused more on the reasons of why to become a physician. And yeah. I did briefly mention that I have um, aspirations to go for a dual degree for an MBA. Okay. And um, in many institutions that I had um, contacted beforehand or done research into, the first primary focus was uh, get into medical school first and then apply for the MBA. So um, I applied for several institutions and the ones that I did were is, you know, you apply for the MBA program during your M1 year. Okay. So you you would have to have acceptance. So that's, that's what I did. And uh, I applied for the MBA during my M1 year. Okay. Yeah. And that's relatively common. A lot of students get a little confused because it's like, well, dual degree, like the MD PhD, it's a separate application. I'm like, no, nah, most, most of the other dual degree stuff is just, you apply once you're accepted you'll figure yeah. it out then. So that's, that's awesome. It's, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm glad you brought up your, your story because it comes up all the time when reviewing applications is, is talking to students. They're like, well, this is my passion. This is what I want to do. I'm like, they don't really care about what you want to do yet, right? They just, they want to make sure you're going down this path for the right reasons. And for you, you focus so much on the MBA. They're like, does this dude even want to be a doctor? Does he just want to go run a hospital and make lots of money, right? He can, he can just go get his MBA and and do that. So, and it's, it's funny because of your position now as someone who interviews students for your university, the the probably very similar traps that students obviously they're they've gotten to the interview part with you or so their application has been reviewed and it's good enough to get to the interview part but i'm sure those students are still falling into the same traps in an interview when you talk about why you want to be a doctor and a lot of those common type questions what are you seeing from from the interviewer side of it now interviewing students those common traps that they're falling into so I guess one of the common traps would be, and this was one of my major traps too, was like the lack of uh, emotional intelligence or self-awareness mm-hmm. um, of the reasons why I'm pursuing this. Another one would be um, not let's, having- Let's stop there because a lot of people will hear emotional intelligence, right? EQ as, as it's known and not really understand what that means. How does that come across for you as an interviewer from the student? 
Absolutely. So it comes across as unconfident um, or unaware. For example, I love this question um, that I always ask students, and it's um, it asks about diversity. And mm. you know, you go in uh, to a room and you see the patient, and the patient is somebody who is culturally very different than you, and they look at you and say, "I don't want you to treat me." How mm. would you respond? And the best (laughs) response. Peace out. See (laughs) you. One less note to write. No, that's not the right one. (laughs) The 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 best responses I've heard is, um, well, absolutely. Uh, I'll do my best to. I'll I'll figure out if there's someone better. Um, uh, if someone else can help provide, I'm I'm here to help you. And if I can't be the one who will service you, I will do my best to find that person in your position, uh, in my position to, to be able to help you. Um, the worst responses I've heard has been, uh, why don't you want me to help you? Uh, is there something wrong? Uh, so it's, it's taking yourself out of the situation and putting it, putting yourself, um, into somebody else's shoes and being, uh, able to understand, um, the other person's perspective. Maybe they feel uncomfortable sharing something or they would feel more comfortable sharing, uh, aspects about their health or aspects about their socioeconomic statuses um, or, or their ways of life for somebody who is more cu- culturally aware or, or share similar um, ideas or, or beliefs as them. How do you deal with, with that type of question? All right. And, and maybe this is getting a little bit too in the weeds uh, for students who come from different backgrounds. And, and I'll give you some context for that question. I was listening to an awesome podcast. I think it was a Freakonomics podcast talking about IQ tests, right? We're talking about EQ, about IQ tests. And there was there was an example given about a, a survey or something that was done asking people what would they do if they found a wallet full of money on the floor in a store. And the the question brought uh, a lot of different answers from different populations. And so those who were minority from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, those like an African-American person would say, well, I would leave it there, right? Because if, if I pick it up and try to turn it in, they're going to accuse me of, of being the one that stole it. And then you have those not from a disadvantaged background, not from a minority background going, I'd pick it up and return it because that's just, they, they're not immediately prejudiced against. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, for that type of question, there's got to be a huge variation just from people's own experiences and background. How do you deal with that? Absolutely. The thing that I look forward for the most is the student putting themselves out of their own shoes and putting themselves in the mind of uh, the patient or the, or the person in question. So um, there's definitely a variation of, que- uh, of responses of how it is that I'm going to help. But the student who's able to take themselves out of the situation and say, um, I want what's best for the patient, or I want, uh, you know, it's nothing about me. It's, I'm not important here. The patient is what's, who's most important here. Um, that is the, the type of response that I'm looking for, or, or the, uh, any variation that basically signals that type of uh, communication. Awesome. Yeah. And that's right. That's the definition of empathy is being able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and see, see from their perspective, feel from their perspective. Awesome. So that was number one, got a little back down in the weeds for, uh, for EQ. What's, uh, what's next? Sure. So 
the next one that I feel like a lot of students are um, falling into traps for are not being professional enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so professionalism is a huge major role when it comes into um, you know medical school admissions and just throughout your journey as a medical student. Um, it's something that you know carrying the the title of a physician is a major responsibility and it, and it's a it's a noble role that others will look up to. So you have to be able to carry that type of professionalism and that you know that goes beyond just being completely like punctual all the time. Um, it goes uh, being able to, um, you know, have the correct attitude, um, the, the, the good attitude of, of wanting to help others, of wanting, of being, being delighted to be where you are. Um, I guess professionalism also means uh, being aware of what it means to be a medical student, the struggles that are involved, and um, the bigger reason of why you're doing this. So um, if people come in and say, for example, um, you know, my parents are doctors, my family's a doctor, you know, everybody is a doctor, so I'm just next. Like, that doesn't mean much. It's like, <laughs> why, why do you want to be one? Yep. You know? So I think I think professionalism <laughs> is a is is the next major trap that students fall into. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Why do I want to be one? I like science. I want to help people. I have a three point nine GPA and a five fifteen MCAT. So obviously, I should be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's I heard that many times. <laughs> it's it's funny. Like students, hopefully listening to this podcast, don't fall into those traps. But it's it's out there all the time. It's very very pervasive. All right, so that's that's number two. What other kind of common mistakes are you seeing uh, as an interviewer? Um, being able to open up about yourself and just get away from academic things. Um, yeah. For example, the the class coming in, um, what I like to see is, is a diversity in terms of experiences. So I love it when students talk about, you know, their hobbies or something that they're super passionate about that is completely outside of the academia world. Now, if it's something like, for example, that you are passionate about, you're, you know, re- totally head-driven research, that's awesome. Talk about that. But if, for example, in my situation, I was in flight school at the time, and I loved, which had nothing to do with being becoming a physician. And I, I, I love talking about it. And it was a huge topic of of, uh, of that that came up in my interviews, and I loved it. It was it was great. People saw that I was naturally interested and intrigued and mm-hmm. and passionate about this. And it, having a diversity of experiences coming into your M one class brings a lot of perspectives into the uh, into that class. And and whenever you're doing, you know, these group-led discussions, these uh, uh, team-based learnings, uh, having a diversity of experiences that's just, you know, that derives uh, um, answers from outside of just the academic setting is very helpful and insightful. Now, what happens, because I see this all the time, is is students will take that uh, experience of, right, going to flight school, trying to to get their pilot's uh, license or pilot certificate um, and going, well, I, I was really interested in flying and it shows that I can handle a lot of stressful things and, and multitask and that's going to help me as a physician because of blah, blah, blah. And then I'm just like, no, just just put, a, put away medicine for a minute. Is that yeah. is that kind of the same take that you have? Yeah, absolutely. Put away medicine, trying to stop trying to relate everything to medicine, right? <laughs> so tell me about you. Yeah. Who, you know, what do you like? I know at 24-7, you're not thinking about medicine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's what I they think know. you want to know. 
I want to know the individual coming in and I want to know that the individual coming in or the student coming in is, is someone who has good intentions, is, you know, focused right outside, you know, outside of just academically. They have um, strong support networks. They have uh, de-stresses or hobbies that they can enjoy that, that, throughout this rigorous curriculum, it could get them out of that, you know, make, forget that they're in this rigorous cu curriculum for a little bit when they go and participate in this uh, hobby that they have. Those are, that's what makes a successful medical student. You have to be able to have all of those uh, support networks, hobbies, de-stressors, and the way to stay balanced. Yeah, that's awesome. So, how did you get involved with the admissions committee at your school? I think a lot of students are very intrigued with how medical students become involved on the admissions committee. What was that process like? Sure. Yeah. So the process started, um, I believe, in your M2 year. They send out a mass email. You know, would you like to be one of our student interviewers? And um, a lot of students respond and, you know, some like the position, others don't. Um, whenever we interview students, we give either we give good feedback or our feedback is insightful or not insightful. And I think when that continues, um, your third year of medical school, so the next round, they send out an and invite to you again. Um, hey, would you like to participate in this year's application cycle in helping us interview? And then that just continues. And it's always I've always enjoyed uh, working with pre-meds since I've been through the journey myself. And uh, having been an MCAT being an MCAT instructor, I, I really enjoy um, you know helping others guide navigate through this journey in which I didn't personally have any navigation into. I was trying to figure things out by my own. So I don't want students going through that. Um, so it's just a continual thing. You just show up, you know, interview, you do, you write good feedback, you show um, your, the admissions committee or your student affairs that you're very interested and intrigued in, in wanting to continue this. And they just continue inviting you back. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, you're very busy as a medical student. I, th I think most people would understand that medical students are very busy. But even with that, you're you're out there interviewing for the school, interviewing students. You're teaching, right, MCAT prep for Next Step Test Prep, which is now Blueprint MCAT. And you're uh, on Blueprint MCAT's Pre-Med Advisory Council. And it's just like, and, 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 and. How are you finding time for all of this stuff? Okay, question. So I will be honest, my years two and three of medical school, my pre-med advising or coming down, you know, teaching others definitely went down as I focused more on medical school. Um, this previous year was my MBA year. So if you've gone through the first three years of medical school, an MBA is a walk in the park. So I worked a, a, a whole, uh, um, a, a good full-time while uh, uh, with Blueprint Next Step uh, while simultaneously being in the MBA program. Um, MBA program is a lot different than medical school. It requires a lot of like right-brained activity. Uh, you have to be writing papers instead of, you know, trying to diagnose and problem solve all the time. It's very creative in the sense of um, versus uh, very analytical. Um, so I found uh, the ability that I have more bandwidth during an MBA year than I did during years two and three of medical school. Now, now, as a, as a rising M4, I've completed uh, step two, CK and CS. So uh, theoretically, there's no more exams that are facing <laughs> me, <laughs> except I just need to show up and impress uh, 
um, attending. So that's that's my mindset going in. Yeah. So M4 year for those students listening is, is, is one that a lot of people think we should just cut and cut medical school to three years. Uh, but I, I think it's an important year for people who are still evaluating what they want to do for their, for their life. So have you figured that part out yet? What are you, what are you hoping to, to match in at some point? I did. Um, I'm hoping to go into emergency medicine. Okay. So how does emergency medicine and the MBA want to change the world policy stuff? How does that combine? Yeah, so I've seen a lot of, um, over this last summer, I did a graduate internship in, in a major healthcare institution out here in Chicago. And what I've noticed that a lot of individuals who were in leadership positions, um, uh, physician executives came from emergency backgrounds. And um, that was really shocking and sur- uh, surprising to me. And, and what I really noticed is that emergency tends to be more of a, so it's it doesn't really have that continuity of care. So, you know, it's shift work. So you clock in and you clock out. Um, so so outside of those working hours, you have the you know, the mental ability to be working on other projects mm-hmm. and also um, having to prioritize and um, not really and being able to manage crises as they come in um, tends to parallel um, a lot of what happens in the um, executive in, in the business world. So I feel like um, what I've noticed is that I have a lot of uh, is that emergency tends to really build a lot of uh, individuals that go out into leadership. So um, I have a lot of respect for that um, uh, residency and that that type of um, training. So that's something that I just wanted to pursue. Yeah, it seems like the ER docs are the ones that have all of the free time because it, it is the shift work that they're doing. It's <laughs> yeah. crazy. It's like 15, 16-ish shifts a, a month is is full time for them, which is awesome. I like the fact of going home and not worry about being called in and yeah. I can focus, you know, being at home. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a nice part of, of emergency medicine. It's interesting, right? There's, there literally is a field out there for everyone, depending on what traits, per, like personal traits they have, what they enjoy, what, what kind of floats their boat. So uh, I'm glad you, you found what you wanted early on. I want to I want to ask you it's an interesting angle kind of what biggest mistakes that we were talking about earlier uh, but what is one thing that you've seen that's like an immediate as soon as a student says it or does this thing is like you immediately know at that point they're not going to get accepted like you're not going to recommend them for an acceptance um I think it would be if I would have to say if there's one thing that um, I see that would kind of deter me from from recommending an acceptance would be um, a lack of Mm -hmm. self-confidence. You know, medical school is very difficult and definitely going into medical school, everybody, including, you know, myself and I know all of my friends have felt imposter syndrome. Like somehow, somewhere (laughs) we accidentally got accepted. (laughs) We don't belong here. And And that that does happen. (laughs) Ask ask Mayo if that happens. (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 a normal feeling and yeah. when you're going through it you know it doesn't feel like it but it, you know it doesn't feel like like it's normal it feels very like you're the only person that's feeling this way but imagine feeling imposter syndrome on top of already feeling the lack of self-confidence you know um that would really really set somebody up for for failure in that aspect yeah so um you know 
going into I'm not saying going into medical school, you know, admissions or, or interviews thinking, yeah, I got this. But it's <laughs> being being aware that, you know, this is going to be difficult. But given my past, given my history, you know, I've, I've shown myself strongly academically. I've you know, I've worked my butt off to be where I am today. And if I'm already getting an interview, I've past their academic criteria. So I'm here to ask for the acceptance. And I know it'll be difficult, but I believe in myself. And I know that, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, I can graduate. And I will make this school proud of me. Like that, that is the mentality to go in. If you go in not thinking that type of mentality, then it would um, really set you up for failure in that aspect. Then maybe you're not ready for this type of curriculum. And I just, I want to, I want to kind of separate the difference between lack of confidence and being nervous on interview day. How, how do you see students who come in nervous? How are students correcting themselves or fixing themselves or, or getting their composure to, to actually perform well when you see them coming in nervous? Absolutely. So being nervous is completely normal. Um, you know, I, you would have to, be crazy to not be nervous <laughs> on a medical school interview. What I've noticed is a lot of students, um, you know, take a moment, take a deep breath. Um, I've noticed students in which, like, they're visibly nervous, they're trembling, and I, I'm not there to make you nervous, right? So I tell them, you know, I'm just a student interviewer. I'm here because I want to help you, and I just want to get to know you a little bit better. So it's a little bit more relaxed, yeah. you know. Um, and other students, it, it, you could really tell their nervousness when they start talking about grades and, and trying to compensate for maybe like that, you know, that one wrong, low grade that <laughs> Met they got. one C <laughs> in Orgo. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> you know, and um, it's, I, I, I remind them that if you're here for the interview, you've passed that criteria. I don't care about your C. I care about who you are. And I just want to put a face to this uh, application. I want to put a face to this per- story, this personal statement that you wrote and the reasons of why you want to go here. And I just want to get to know you a little bit better. And that seems to kind of really relax students down. So things that I've really you know, just ways to really reduce that nervousness is that one, you've passed the academic criteria. Two, they want to get to know you. Don't be fake. Just be yourself. Smile. You know, try your best to remember everyone's name. Take a deep breath. And, you know, it's it's very comfortable. Is the more comfortable you become, uh, the 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 easier it is for that conversation flows like wildfire. And the easier that those 20 minutes just fly by and you're like, wow, that was, uh, uh, that was quick. And I I hope I did well. Yeah. A lot of students think that a a flub is going to keep them from getting in. Talk about kind of the, the lack of perfection that you see day in and day out interviewing these students. Absolutely. There are students who took, um, I think one of the, uh, major things that I've seen is students who've been trying to, uh, you know, talk about that, that they had, they were forced to take a semester off or, mm-hmm. um, they, they didn't do so hot one particular semester due to, uh, extraneous circumstances. And that's normal. Life happens. What, what we really care about most and what I look for is progress. I, in medicine, I tell my students all the time, we celebrate progress, right? So, you know, you don't need to be perfect. We want to see progression and the ability to overcome adversity. Um, so if you have a, you know, a C in Orgo or if you have a flub going on, show me how it's impacted you, what you've learned from it, how you've grown from it and um, how you are a better person today because of that and how you will be a better student 
tomorrow because of that and how the skills that you have learned to cope with that will allow you to cope with more adversity as you progress in your path forward. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that you mentioned the kind of uh, like life happens because it was Dr. Amiri who I had on the podcast, the the director of medical college admissions at the University of Illinois at Chicago. But I, I think she oversees the whole, all of the campuses as well. And and in that conversation that I had with her, she's like, "Look, we we understand that life happens and." do you want to go to a school, a medical school that, that won't accept that, right? If they see a semester where it's either you would, had to withdraw or you had bad grades, like life happened and, and a school's not going to accept that. Well, what's going to happen when you're in medical school and life happens again? How flexible are they going to be for you? And so it was really interesting to hear her perspective on like at, at university of, of, um, Illinois College of Medicine was that you have the ability, they have the ability to go, you know what, this, this sophomore year where your mom died, your dad died, your, your dog died, whatever, whatever happened, right? The, we have the ability to just wipe that GPA off of your calculation. And we're going to calculate your GPA for our purposes without that whole year. And so that, that seems just amazing and, and just goes to show you that, yeah, there are some medical schools out there that aren't going to be flexible at all and don't really care about what the situation was. But there are plenty out there that understand that this is life and life has its ups and downs and ugliness and everything else. And they're willing to, to kind of look past that. I agree. I agree. That's um, one thing that University of Illinois um, I'm very thankful for is, and this is something I realized in my first and second year of medical school, um, medical, you know, I don't know if it's uh, unique to the University of Illinois, but they really care about their students. The student affairs office is the biggest advocator that I have ever seen for, for, for students. And I went to University of Illinois for my undergrad, and I did not see that level of advocacy until I got it into, until I got into medical school. And I was surprised. I'm like, wow, that's, that's UIC, the University of Illinois at Chicago. That is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and um, the way that they care for students, uh, uh, they uh, they uh, it's 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 very it's very um, I'm very grateful. Yeah, that's awesome. So, talk about your test prep world. You, I think you have your own kind of USMLE Step One course that you teach. You're also teaching for uh, Blueprint MCAT as well. How did you get involved in the test prep world? Absolutely. So I think it was, I've been, a, I've been an MCAT instructor for six years. Um, I graduated uh, in December 2013. I took my MCAT in May 31st, 2014. And at that time, um, about six years ago, I was working at Best Buy. And I just got, I remember I just didn't do something right. And uh, my manager was trying to give me some feedback. And I'm like, I want to be a doctor, man. Like, <laughs> I, like, like I, I love you guys, but I just, I gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> and I, I remember I quit, you know, I gave my two weeks notice. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? I got a bachelor's in biology. What, what can I do? And I, <laughs> There's always Starbucks. <laughs> and I was, and, um, my test score came back and I did really well. So I, I, I applied for a job with Next Step. And back then, the company is very small. Yep. Um, so I, I got hired on and I loved it. Teaching was something that was extremely valuable. And um, I, I, it was 
very rewarding. And it's something that I kept up throughout my uh, you know, two-year gap year. I Throughout my first and second year of medical school, although the intensity of teaching decreased um, as I went into medical school. Um, but then after I took USMLE Step 1, I felt that University of Illinois didn't really pre- prepare M2 students that well, as well as they could have. So I went to student affairs to, um, and also to the dean of medical education, and I had this crazy proposal that um, – if you give me the chance and um, I'm willing to, you know, work my butt off to help create a review course for step one so future M2 students at UIC wouldn't have to, you know, go through the same, like, darkness that, you know, I felt like our class went through. Winter is and, coming. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, you know, this is what I mean. Student Affairs was very encouraging. The Dean of Medical Education said, well, we have a team of TAs, you know, this team and you work together to help build this. And, and we did. I'm very grateful for the team that we had. We built this, you know, USMLE uh, Step 1 review series that we called. We held it for six weeks straight. We had uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays for two hours, 6 to 8 p.m., um, six weeks straight. We actually, it's, somehow we got 16 sessions in. Wow. I don't know how. Uh, all of them were recorded. Um, and was, <laughs> I don't know if I want to take tutoring from someone who's like, six weeks, twice a week. We got 18 sessions in. I'm like, six times. <laughs> <no." laughs> somehow we like fit that in. <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> but... Um, and every, you know, every subject every day was, and it was very symptom focused mm-hmm. instead of organ structure focused. So for example, today was chest pain. So all the causes of chest pain, the pathophysiology, treatments involved, um, pharmacology based on any reasons for myocardial infarctions or mecha- mechanisms. So it was everything not organ based, but is that based. Is that the, the structure of the curriculum at University of Illinois? Uh, no, it is. It is actually the structure of curriculum is very organ based, and okay. that's what I felt like did not prepare us because USMLE Step One is very yeah. symptom based. Yeah. You know, patient comes in with chest pain, yada yada yada. What do you do? Yeah, right. So yeah. it's like, well, chest pain could be, you know, could be epigastric, could be cardiovascular, could be respiratory. Right. Mm-hmm. I, we need to think about them all simultaneously and rule out uh, some of these um, uh, medical ailments as we can as we learn more about the history. But we have to consider all of them simultaneously instead of independently. So that's how we structured the review series and it became very successful and um it was uh accessed from what i saw um using data on blackboard and whatnot about 80 percent of the entire class uh accessed them and and, uh used all of our resources which which is wonderful that's awesome what is it from from the MCAT side of it, right? The the MCAT for a lot of pre med students, especially those from disadvantaged backgrounds, underrepresented uh, backgrounds. What are you seeing from an MCAT side that that are some quick, easy wins for a student to start implementing today that may have an effect on their score tomorrow? Absolutely, connecting a lot of things together. Um, so for example, you know, one professor told me everything in life is physics. You bring, (laughs) (laughs) you bring the physical interactions of atoms together and you get chemistry. You bring atomic interactions and molecular interactions together on a wider scale, you get biology. So as an MCAT student, when you're learning about physics, ask yourself, how is this implemented in chemistry and how can you further extrapolate this in biology? Or whenever you're reading about biology, 
think about the chemistry side of things. And if you're able to explain uh, the chemistry side of things, um, we'll then explain uh, the chemical interactions physically. For example, nucleophilic and electrophilic attacks are just positive and negatives, right? And so you think about those type of connections and you're going to do really well on the MCAT. Yeah, the the MCAT is a is a beast for a lot of students. It was for me. I, I know I, I hated the the cars section or back, back when I took it, the verbal reasoning section. What do you think is is for for students specifically with the car section? What is a uh, something that they can do today to help them? Because that's Absolutely. that's not physics that they can connect with cars. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. That's a good question. One thing about the car section is I, I tell my students this. Imagine you're a very busy, you know, you're a pre-medical student. You need 32 hours in a day and you're forced to read this thing. I want you to go in with the attitude of why are you telling me this and why are you wasting your life trying to write this <laughs> thing? <laughs> right? So be that critical, right? So ask yourself these major questions. Like you read a paragraph. What was the point of that? Why? Why? did you just waste my life making me read that? What was your point? And once I got the perspective, we'll move on to the next paragraph and yep. continue move on, on through paragraph by paragraph as you go out throughout the entire passage and then reflect, why did the author, you know, remember these are published pieces of work, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody writes these things for the MCAT specifically. <laughs> these are, these are, published pieces of work that were somebody wrote that down on their free will, published it, and some reader on their free will picks it up, and this just happened to end up on the MCAT. So <laughs> who, who, who would write that? What is the purpose of writing that? Who would go pick that up and read it, and why? And when you think about those like major ideas and, and, and such grand view, it, it helps you get a better understanding of the, 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 the gist of the passage, the author's tone. When you go and attack these questions, um, make sure to reword everything, and once you have things reworded and, and simplified um you you bring it in and and help answer questions uh, you know answer questions that way I, lo- I love the way that you you kind of frame that because that's how i read personal statements i'm like why are you wasting my time telling me this it's like <laughs> did, did you tell me why you wasted my time <laughs> writing this right and that's that's exactly the same way i read personal statements so that's kind of funny um well that's awesome i i would love um as we wrap up here for you to uh, just talk about Blueprint MCAT, what they have to offer um, the other amazing MCAT tutors out there, because obviously you're not the only MCAT tutor for Blueprint MCAT. Uh, Talk about the team over there and what they're doing for students. Yeah, so the team is working really hard. Um, recently, the AAMC had announced that we have shortened exams and Blueprint was working very hard and they recently released a set of all of their exams being shortened down to match the new structure of the new MCAT during this uh, year. Um, So that's really cool. They've also um, developed a new Blueprint MCAT course. um, And this course is very modular based, uh, focusing on uh, big topics and then incorporating a lot of the smaller topics in together. So one day you could be learning about physics, chemistry, and biology all in one module. And this module really helps track uh, your your progress and being able to uh, go uh, uh, test out of some of these modules if you already feel very uh, confident in some of these and can focus more on your, on your weak areas. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the, the new course, the new MCAT course from Blueprint MCAT is phenomenal. I reviewed it. I have a YouTube video about it if you want to go check that out. So Armin, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Uh, I uh, wish you the best of luck in your journey to emergency medicine and changing the world with your MBA as well. Thank you, Dr. Gray. I, I appreciate it. All right. There you have it. 
Again, Armin from Blueprint MCAT, previously known as Next Step Test Prep. So if you go to Blueprint, again, that's blueprintprep.com slash MCAT, that'll take you to where all of the new goodies are, including the course that Armin was talking about. I reviewed that course if you want to check it out. If you go to MCATCourseReview.com, I have a blog post there that has a YouTube video embedded as well that shows you uh, what I have done and what the course is all about. So again, blueprintprep.com slash MCAT will take you to where you need to go. Again, go check out their course, amazing new course, and my review of it. I hope this was helpful for you. Armin uh, obviously is very knowledgeable when it comes to the application process, to being a good interviewer, to telling your story and not just saying that you're really interested in, in being an MBA student on, oh yeah, I guess patients are okay too, and uh, is obviously a great teacher and tutor when it comes to test prep, having formed his USMLE course at the school and also being an MCAT tutor. So hopefully this was helpful for you and I will see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.